So Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 21, and obviously we're reading this morning about the crucifixion of Jesus. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lamach sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine and vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. 
Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Thank you, Sue. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. Uh, for the sake of those who I uh, haven't met yet, my name's Jono, and uh, I lead the ministry here at uh, Grace Anglican Church, Harrington Park. It's uh, good to be back with you all. Uh, Jenny and I had a little mini break in Melbourne this, this past week and managed to survive the airports uh, fairly well, actually. Um, the previous Sunday, I was over to Gledswood Hills because uh, I was step filling in for Gav, who had COVID. So it feels like it's been a little while since I've, since I've been here. So it is great to be with you this Good Friday and to be opening God's Word together with us. Um, as we come to reflect on the significance of this Good Friday, will you uh, join me in prayer and let's pray that God would speak to us through His Word. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this day. We thank you most of all for our Saviour, your Son, our Lord Jesus. Our Father, we pray and ask that you would remind us, that you would refresh us with the, the significance of the events that we remember and celebrate this Good Friday. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you don't need me to tell you that uh, these past two years have been challenging uh, perhaps you'd rather not be reminded of the fact, um, but I'm also conscious that for many the, the challenges are kind of continuing, just maybe in a, in a different kind of way. Uh, we've gone from, from having two years of, of COVID constraints without sickness by and large, to now having kind of a new normal, it seems, of, of COVID with less constraints, but with sickness. Uh, both COVID and of course all the other things that are uh, circulating because they've had two years of, um, of not being able to. Uh, and yet there is still, in amongst that and amongst the ongoing challenges, there is still uh, there is relief from the constraints of the past two years. There is still some kind of normality that's returning where we can enjoy some expressions of normal life, such as being able to actually go on a plane and have a few days off in Melbourne. Um, and perhaps maybe we've, we've reached the end of term one and we've kind of staggered across the, the finish line to, into the school holidays and, and it does feel like it's time to, to breathe again, to stop and to take a breath. Um, it's interesting, breathing is something that we've, uh, we've become much more conscious of than we used to be. When you think about it, uh, ever since the moment of our, our first breath as a baby, we've been constantly breathing. And for most of us, that's something that's nearly always done completely unconsciously. And yet COVID has had us thinking a lot about breathing. You know, thinking about things like aerosols and enclosed spaces and ventilation and masks and what happens when you cough or sneeze or Worst of all, that very evil thing of singing. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen those videos of, you know, with the, with the aerosols kind of illuminated magically and it's, oh, it's terrible. Uh, a kid in my scripture class in the last week of term coughed, of course, um, you know, with not covering his mouth. And, and I found myself looking to see if the windows were open and how far away I was from him. And, and I mean, I was about to fly to hopefully fly to Melbourne five days later, so I was pretty keen to be able to get on that flight. We've become a lot more aware of breathing. And of course, for some who have been sick with COVID, awareness of breathing and difficulties with breathing have become much more of a concern. You see, to, to breathe is to live. 
which is a basic reality that we know and, and assume. But, you know, it's also a truth which is, is embedded throughout the Bible. To breathe is to live. Right from the, the beginning, uh, in the book of Genesis, in the creation accounts, it says, uh, with the creation of, of mankind, in, in Genesis uh, 2, oh, are you you're doing this, Kezia? You can do this. Uh, Genesis 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. To live is to have breath. It's breath that's, that's given by God. Uh, similarly, it's the chapter before that in Genesis 1 with the creation of the animals says in verse 30, And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it. So the animals are given life. They're given breath and they're given it by God. And so then after the rebellion of humanity, uh, we read in the account of the flood in Genesis 6, God says to Noah, 6 verse 17, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. But before God sends the floodwaters, Noah is to build an ark and he, he does so and he brings the animals into it. It says, Genesis 7, 15, pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them, came to Noah and entered the ark. And God sent the floodwaters such that in chapter 7, verse 22, everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. This is the, the biblical understanding, that to be alive is to have the God-given breath of life in your nostrils. To have life is to have breath. And that may just seem like a, well, an obvious anatomical reality, but it is also a biblical reality and one that comes from God. God is the one who gives life, who, who gives breath. Uh, Job says in Job 33 verse 4, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Notice there the parallel, the Spirit of God, the breath of the Almighty has made me, has given me life. The breath that you just breathed is a gift of God. And we see this idea elsewhere in the Bible. Uh, when Paul spoke to those in Athens, Acts 17, he said, verse 25, He, that is God himself, gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So God is the great giver of life. He's the, the giver of breath. But in a biblical worldview, God's breath not only gives life, it also brings death and judgment. Uh, the prophet Isaiah spoke of, of a, a great coming ruler of God's people, this great coming Messiah who would bring judgment on the earth. Isaiah 11 Verse 4 says, He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Similarly, in chapter 40, he writes, All people are like grass, and all the, their faithless, faithfulness sorry, is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's it's all very interesting, this, this word study of the, the uses of the word breath in the Bible, but, but so what? 
Well, what it shows us is, well, yes, to, to breathe is to, to live and to, to cease to breathe is to cease to live. But more than that, God holds both of those in his hands, which is, is valuable, is sobering for us to, to know and to remember. But it also shapes how we, how we look on those events of that first Good Friday. See, I don't know if you noticed, um, as Sue read through that Bible reading, the account of, of Jesus' death, the detail there of Pilate's surprise. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea went to, to Pilate and, and asked, Jesus, uh, sorry, asked Pilate for Jesus' body. And it says there in verse 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Now, in terms of the, the time of, of Jesus' death, there's, uh, there's actually three timestamps in this account. Uh, verse 25 tells us that it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. And then verse 33 says, At noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And then at three in the afternoon, it says Jesus cried out in a loud voice and shortly after that, he died. And so we've got six hours from 9am till 3pm before Jesus died. Six hours that he hung on the cross. And those six hours would have been absolutely horrendous. And yet Pilate is surprised to hear that he'd already died. Apparently crucifixion could take, could often take up to a couple of days, depending on various factors and, and how it was done and, and the, the state of the person, which may explain Pilate's surprise that he was dead within six hours. But why did Jesus die at the time and in the way that he did? Verse 37 simply, it tells us simply, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. For 33 years, Jesus breathed with the breath of God, the breath that gave him life. But then he breathed his last. Literally, the word is, is outbreathed, expired. His breath left him. And what's striking there is that in the midst of this barbaric execution, there's a, there's a real sense that Jesus is in control. Jesus breathed his last. In Matthew's parallel account of, of Jesus' crucifixion, it says in Matthew 27, 50, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Luke records the content of his loud cry. Luke 23, 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. So Jesus gave up his breath. He laid down his life, as he said he would earlier in John 10. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay, uh, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. So Jesus died when he died and in the way that he died because he chose to breathe his last. 
He chose to die so that we might breathe again. So we, we live in this world created by God. Um, as I said before, we, we breathe with the breath that God gives us. And yet all of us have, well, we've taken that life, we've taken that breath for granted in various ways at various times. We've, we've sought independence from God, the source of our breath. And left to our own devices, we, we face the terrifying prospect of, of withering like the grass before the breath of God. But praise God, he has not left us to our own devices. He has sent his son to save us. He has sent his son to breathe his last that we might breathe again. See, before Jesus cried out to God, and committed his spirit into his father's hands. Before that, he cried out something else. It's there recorded in verse 34. Verse 34, it says, At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we may not realize this, but uh, Jews uh, at the time who understood and knew their Bibles, would have recognised that immediately as the first line of Psalm 22. It's a bit like if I said, Australians all let us rejoice. I mean, you might hear that as a, as a call to rejoice, but you would also know, well, Jono's quoting the first line of the National Anthem. Jesus quoted the first line of Psalm 22, this psalm which, which prophesied his death in a remarkable way. And by doing that, Jesus was declaring what his death achieved. That he became the God-forsaken one. He, he bore the judgment of God, not because he deserved it, but because we deserved it. He took our place when he breathed his last. We all have an expiry. There will be a day for each of us where we will breathe our last, where we will expire. And as I said, worse than that, if we're left to ourselves, we, we would face the, the breath of God's judgment due to us because of our sin. But praise God, Jesus has come and has breathed his last for us, taking that judgment of our expiry on himself. That beyond this life, we might breathe again in the kingdom of God forever. See, notice the, the immediate effect of Jesus breathing his last. The next verse, verse 38, says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What's going on here? Well, in the temple uh, in those days, there was this thick, heavy curtain that closed off the way into the, the most holy place the Holy of Holies, where, where symbolically God dwelt with his people. And, and up until that moment, only one person, the high priest, could enter through that curtain, and only once a year, and only after offerings were made. But when Jesus died, when, when he breathed his last, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, from, from heaven to earth, you could say. And that declared that the way into right relationship with God was now open. That we have access to God. That we can breathe again 
in a renewed, life-giving relationship with God, our Creator. And so what we remember today, this Good Friday, that is of such profound significance, it, it ought to take our breath away. That God has given us new life, both now and, and beyond our last breath in this world. And so as we look on these events of, of this first Good Friday, in a way we're like the centurion by the cross, verse 39. It says, and, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, or literally saw how he breathed his last, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. How much did the centurion understand of the, the significance of Jesus' death? We, we don't know. But he did understand, he did realise that, that this man was the Son of God. This is the King of God's kingdom. This is the one who, in the language of the Bible, gives life to all, gives breath, gives everything else. So the question is, have you looked to the Son of God, to Jesus, and seen him as this centurion did? as the Son of God, as the one who breathed his last for you in order to breathe new life into you. If not, today is a good day to do that, a great day to start. In fact, for all of us, today is a great day for us to, to take time to breathe again, to pause this Good Friday to remember Jesus' death for you. And yeah, to perhaps... Take a breather after a stressful few years and a hectic term. But more than that, to take time to turn to the one who gave up his life, who breathed his last for you. Trust him as your saviour. Follow him as your king and live out the new life that he has breathed into you. Let's come before God in prayer now. Our Lord God, almighty and loving Heavenly Father, you have, you have given us life and breath and everything else. We thank you and praise you for this. Above all, Father, we thank and praise you for sending your Son, our Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for willingly giving up your breath for us, for breathing your last, that we might breathe anew in the kingdom of God. Thank you for taking the death and judgment that we deserve so that we could have life. Father, forgive us. Please forgive us for the times that we have taken the, the life and breath you've given us for granted, for the times that we've sought to live our own way without you. Father, thank you that because of Jesus we have forgiveness, that we can enter through the curtain and into fellowship with you. Please strengthen us to trust you through all of life, to follow you as our Lord, as our King, and to live out the new life that you have breathed into us. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.